This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Welcome back. And now we are switching gears and we are turning to our trusted contributors from the Ontario College of Trades. It's been a very busy summer for renovations of all kinds. And one question that we often get from listeners is, how exactly does the Ontario College of Trades protect us. I'm here with Hartley Ellis, who is an enforcement officer with the college and his colleague, Tarler Charlebois, and they are here to answer your questions and mine. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Hello, Libby. Thank you very much for having us. Perfect. Thanks, Libby. Thanks for having us. Okay. So, uh, lots of renovations. Hopefully, most of them are, are going well according to plan, on time, on budget, or something close. Um, what happens... If they don't go that way, Hartley, you're an enforcement officer. How do you do your work? Well, it, it, it all depends. Um, we inspect uh, trade individuals for their license. So when you have a con- um, sorry, when you have a, um, a, a construction or some kind of renovation going on, and there's compulsory trade including the electricians, the plumbers, or sheet metal workers, these guys have to have their license. So I come out on site specifically to see if check them for their license to make sure they have the proper certificate of qualification or their uh, registered apprentice. Uh-huh. And what happens after that? Well, if an individual does not have his proper documentation or is not registered to the system and I cannot find him on the public registry or in our trade management system, then he's liable to a fine. Okay. Um, what if they do have a certification but there's still a problem with the work they've done? Well, it would be up, on to, up to the homeowner to actually file a complaint with our organization, and then that complaint would be looked into on a more in-depth basis. Okay. Uh, and um, let's talk a little bit about exactly how you go about filing a complaint and what the process is to look for it. Because with a lot of things in life, yes, you can file a complaint, but, but it, you know, it can take so long and be so cumbersome to deal with it that it's almost not worth it. So what's the process? So the process is, you know, I would say that it's, again, all process to complain can be cumbersome and and time consuming. But one of the things that we like to help people to before we get to the complaint stage is before you've done that, before you've hired any individual that's coming into your home to do any work, that you check the public register. It's very simple, very easy, put their number in and, uh, and, and check their uh, and check if they're actually qualified for that, and then if you if you didn't do that and you actually went about and you hired them and they started to do the work and something's come up that you sort of feel that you know maybe this is it's they're not you know maybe they don't know what they're doing they seem to have more people coming to your house they're asking for more and more money it just doesn't seem legit that's when an individual can call us up at the college and uh, file a complaint. And it's, we've got a simple form that they fill in just to sort of give us the details of the work that's being done, who's in their, uh, who's in their property, the, the names of the individuals. Um, and, and then that gets processed and then sent out to one of our enforcement officers like Hartley. And they will come out and uh, speak with you and find out what work's being done. But it's key that if you're doing a complaint that, it's, that you're looking at it before the work is completed. Because if the work is done 
then it's going to be hard for us to find out, okay, which individual actually did the work of a compulsory trade. Because you might have had a few different individuals in there, but if it wasn't the, if you, you know, that were doing some compulsory work like the electrical, you may think it was the guy who wasn't certified or the, or the, uh, you know, the tradesperson that wasn't certified, but maybe it was in the end, but we need to sort of catch them in the act, so to speak. Right, Harley? Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, we work a lot with some of the government, government agencies, like the um, municipalities and the bylaw officers. When they go into some of these um, homes and they could potentially see problems, sometimes they'll actually call us and go, hey, can you, you know, go by and see? Um, then it becomes um, almost like a promotional compliance visit, so to speak, to speak to the homeowner, talk to them about the public registry, Tell them the proper process in which to try to see if they could, you know, how should I say, corral the horse before it gets out of the barn, so to speak. Well, because you've opened up a whole bunch of other issues. Let's just give the numbers again, because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have questions about the way their renovations, the work to their homes have been done. Uh, I'm here with two gentlemen from the Ontario College of Trades, and they're going to be able to answer your questions. The numbers, 416 Three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty and one of the questions what you just talked about brings to mind that you work with bylaw officers is that I know that sometimes people start doing work to their house without the proper permit because those permits can be quite expensive. Um, I even know that sometimes. The people doing the work, the trades, will say, ah, you don't need a, a building permit for that. And and that could open the can of worms. So what if somebody who maybe doesn't have a proper building permit for what they're doing suddenly has an issue with the trades? Like, how does that play out? Well, um, uh, very good question. Well, at the end of the day, if they're, if they're trying to cheat the system in the beginning by not getting uh, a proper um, uh, permit and something like this happened, they've really put themselves in a bind because now they're going to have to come forward. Let's use electrical, for instance. They've decided that they're going to go ahead and uh, do some work in the basement of their home and maybe the contractor they hired says, ah, you know, don't worry about pulling a permit from ESA, Electrical Safety Authority. And then all of a sudden they get in a situation where the guy did not know what he was doing, they may have been potential problems, and they felt that they were dealt with unfairly. So now they're going to have to some people normally will contact the um, Minister of Consumer Affairs, and then they'll probably spit them over to us and say, hey, okay, uh, I have a problem here with a tradesman, so I'm going to walk in there, right? This person is going to feel, the homeowners probably feel like the, they, they got um, unjustly um, treated by someone who they think could be an electrician. They, they might contact ESA. So all of a sudden, ESA is in there going, why didn't you pull a permit for that, for that work? And we're in there going, well, the guy who you asked to do this work doesn't even have a license. Mm. So now we're really in a conundrum. We really have a problem. And I, one of the things to also think about when you're looking at that, and if you're not doing the permits and you're not getting someone who's actually certified to do the work in a compulsory trade, that actually may void your insurance policy. Big time. So say something happened to your home and you had some electrical work done by someone who was uncertified, didn't have the permits, and now there's a, you know, some the panel catches fire and your house burns down, you may not be covered by your insurance. So... Which is which is the sort of the the cheapest route to go? Not to pay to buy the permit, or to have to you know not get covered by your insurance to be to rebuild your house? Okay, let's uh, go to Jim in Hanover. Hi, Jim. Hello. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Well, I've been an apprentice twice. Once it was in England as an apprentice plasterer, and the way I got into that trade was I phoned around to see if anybody needed an apprentice, 
And now over there at that time, if you had four full-time plasterers, you must have an apprentice. So that's how I got into the trade. The thing that really burns my butt is when I read a newspaper and see them advertises for apprentice auto mechanics. Wanted a third year. Now, if I had a small shop and I had an apprentice, I wouldn't want him, you know, teach him for two years, and then he decides he wants to go somewhere else and work. I think an apprentice should serve his apprenticeship with a person that employs him, and not only that, helps to pay for him to go to school to get the technical end of a job, or of his trade, and work it that way instead of this niggly wiggly. This has got to be the poorest apprenticeship country I've ever come across. All of Europe is far, far ahead of the system we've got. It's just willy-nilly, and uh, it's not very good at all. You know what, Jim? I'd say that uh, you know we are working to try and you know improve. Been the... working for years and years, haven't solved the thing. Still the same. Well, the college has only been around since 2013, so you know we're working really hard to uh, to improve the pathways and to encourage more individuals to get into apprenticeships so employers well, don't have to try and take them from third year and they can actually have a large pool to pull from to start right from the get-go and actually finish and complete their apprenticeships. That's important, but well, it's also important when you employers. I took refrigeration in Newfoundland. I finished high school, and uh, that's next September... I was in a vocational school learning refrigeration, as of many other people, right out of high school. Yet here in Ontario, when I went, I had to go back to school and take stationary engineering, I talked to a young fellow, and he said he had to wait two years before he got in to take stationary engineering. I said, well, what did you do for two years? Oh, I delivered pizzas and I cut grass. Wasted two years of his life. Yep. So your system is all screwed up. Uh, hi, hi. hi, Jim. Um, you know, Ontario College Trade has only been out since um, basically April um, in two thousand, April two thousand thirteen, and we realize the problem that, that the apprenticeships are facing, all the the skills are on all the skills trades are facing, and we're actually working to try to address that. You know, one of my roles as an enforcement officer, although I go out there and enforce, is actually to communicate with the employer and try to see if I can let them understand the way how the current system is as to where apprentices are concerned. We realize that there is a problem, but you there's also got to be a certain amount of responsibility given to that particular trade for causing a problem or that industry for causing a problem, right? The, 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 I'm sorry, but the, the 310S mechanics, journey people, have not really been doing a good job to train their apprentices. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to take a quick break. Jim, thank you for your call. Uh, I'm going to give the numbers again before we go to break. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'm here with the Ontario College of Trades. We're talking about enforcement. We're talking about your renovations, what you can do if they go wrong, what you can do to prevent them from going wrong. And we will be back after this. Welcome back. I am here with the Ontario College of Trades, and we're talking about your renovations. We're talking about the rules regarding apprenticeship. Uh, the numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And I've got Jack in Toronto. Hi, Jack. Hi. I, I'm just curious. Living in an apartment building, and some of these uh, landlords are, they own one building and everything that they spend is tight. So if I have an, uh, an insurance package, like the apartment type uh, insurance, 
to have an electrician come in. He's not. He's one of these uh, quote unquote fly by nighters. Just a, a general handyman. He does some work. Something happens. I heard earlier you say that it could affect your insurance. What onus is on me? So I. I was- Sorry, Jack. Yeah. So I would say that, uh, you know, one of the things that you need to do is in anyone in a condo or an apartment building, if the building is sending someone into your unit, you have and you should be asking to see that their qualifications, especially if it's in a compulsory trade, electrician, plumber, sheet metal. uh, You know, we've got a list of the 22 on our website, collegeoftrades.ca. It's important for you to say to your building, to your super, to whoever might be managing your building, say, if this person's coming to my house to do work, I need to know that they are certified. Show me their qualifications. Because you actually don't want anything to happen to your unit or the entire building as a result of someone coming in, sort of a, a cheap person, sort of fly by night. And there are people out there, but you need to make sure that, you know, the fees that you're paying a, into your condo or into your property are going to actually, you know, to pay for the work is being done by someone who's actually certified and trained to do that work. Yep. The landlord himself is, is how do I put this? Uh, not as it's he, he just it's just not not the most upright and everything else. If you understand what I'm saying, yeah, we we get it. <laughs> yeah, so if your your landlord is is sending somebody who is not doing good work, and you want to know what can you do about it, uh, can you uh, do some enforcement in that situation, Hartley? Well, you gotta first of all, he would have to invite me into his dwelling. Right, being yeah. that it's, although it's in the building, it is in his apartment um, comp unit, so is his. It is in his dwelling. Once it becomes in his dwelling, and he decides to make a complaint, he can give me a call. And if he knows exactly when the guy will be there doing the work, he has to invite me in. I'm more than happy to come up. And if that guy does not, or that trade person does not have the proper certification, then he's a tickable offense at that point. But I have to be invited into his dwelling. Yeah, and it can be difficult to get an exact time as to when the work is going to be done. Between eight and five, usually, or nine and five. Yeah. So, uh, have you had that situation happen to you, Jack? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, would 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 the would the college be willing to be a backup for me? When I have an issue with the landlord and ends up in front of the landlord tenants board. So one of the things that, uh, you know, you could use if you were going in that route, and, and that's not something we do, but it has been used by, you know, other complainants have used the findings from our report in terms of looking for someone, whether they actually certified and qualified to do that job in their own sort of investigations or prosecutions. We had a client um, uh, out in the London area who, you know, had someone come in, they weren't certified, you know, she it cost her $11,000. She went and took the individual uh, who was not certified to small claims court and won. And part of the piece that she used in her claim was, you know, the proof in the work that our enforcement officers out in the field had done that this individual actually wasn't certified, uh, but led her to believe that they were. And so that's some of the things that you could uh, use. But, you know, you've, as Hartley had said, you'd have to invite them in. We'd have to actually make sure that the individual is not certified. But 
get their name and you can check them out on our public register even before you call uh, and make a complaint to the college. Check to make sure that they are because sometimes it may seem that they're not but they, they may be uh, actually certified. So you can check their name uh, or ask to see their College of Trades uh, membership ID because everyone should have that on them all the time when they're doing work. I'm just, I'm just concerned about the repercussions between the landlord and I. That's, a, that's a different story. <laughs> that's well. a different story. And, you know, um, guys, we've had questions. Uh, Jack, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, we've had questions for pe- from people in condos, and this is also a big issue, and there can be big problems between a uh, unit owner and the condo board. And uh, we had a lady call in with an issue that, that some work done that, uh, supposedly to a common area damaged her unit, and uh, nobody is stepping up to take responsibility for it. I guess that would be a small claims court issue at that point. Collect mm-hmm. the evidence and move into small claims court. Yeah. Well, if they if they did not get us involved at some point by you know pointing out the checking the public registry, um, calling us in when the work is potentially being done, or even if we came in after the fact and we can actually tie it definitely to a individual who was a member of the college, then we could probably go through uh, a disciplinary misconduct. But even then, so that all depends on the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, I gather the rules governing condo boards are being changed. That would be yeah. That would be something that would uh, you know. I would say to all condo owners is to look and to check in with what's going on with their local MPP around those because that's where those rules sit, right? So uh, they sit with the provincial government, not not the college. We would handle the workers that would come in uh, and make sure they're certified. But that's also something to bring up, and I think that we touched on it in the last show was, you know, go to your condo board meetings and your AGM and your and and speak to your super or speak to the property manager and make sure that you know, hey you need to make sure that you're bringing in certified, qualified individuals. And if they're not, then you bring that up to the board. Because I think that's, as an owner uh, or someone who's living there, that's important and you should be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough situation. Now, say there is a complaint, you handle a complaint. How long does it usually take to get the thing resolved? Well, it all depends on the circumstances. Some of them can be fairly simple, where it's just a matter of misunderstanding. Um, sometimes a lot of people don't even realize the people that actually did the work actually do have a license. Um, once we, we, we get into a situation and we check to see who did the work, when, where, what, um, find out um, basically uh, a little bit more information in depth about really what happened, we can bring something to a resolve in a couple of weeks in terms of if it's fairly simple, but if it's something that's very um, major where it has to go in front of a, a board, then it could be a little bit more dragged out in a few months or so. What kind of board? Um, yeah, so we have several different uh, committees uh, and sort of uh, discipline committees that uh, members can be brought forward uh, to in terms of actions based off of their sort of either misconduct or their, uh, their, their ability that they weren't actually knowledgeable in the field. Uh, but uh, those are the things that we can take them forward to. So that's what Hartley's talking about is that once that's one of the resolutions of a complaint is that a member can be brought up to our discipline or fitness to practice board. Uh, and then they would review the case and the complaint and determine whether they should be disciplined or whether the sort of fitness to practice is, is there and they actually maybe shouldn't, uh, they should have restrictions or have their license uh, revoked to be able to do that work legally in Ontario. Okay, uh, but even if you have that kind of a sanction, what happens to the person? Do it, it, is something made good for them 
in terms of, uh, you know, they've had work done, it's not good, they've paid money for it? So the college, unlike some other regulators, like I think Ovic, which is one of your uh, your contributors, they sort of have that sort of victim fund. Uh, the college doesn't have that. But that's why, you know, what we say is always it's best to inquire before you hire. So and to follow sort of the rules and not pay up front, right? A key thing is if anyone's asking for up front, all of the money for the job there's probably should be asking some questions in terms of the the ability and their knowledge and the work. So and what is the so what is the usual or a recommended level of deposit upfront? Um, so I, I would say that you know some people do uh, portions, so they would do you know a ten percent upfront, um, a little bit of you know not half. I think of half would probably be a lot before you actually get started, uh, and you sort of wait until the job is done. Right? So you don't pay before the job is done because you want to make sure that it actually gets done because that is a, what happens in a lot of cases by folks that, uh, that you know, the work doesn't get completed but they paid all the money. And yeah, then they and say, I'll come back if you give me more money. Well, it's like I've already paid you what was agreed upon. And th- the 10% sounds low. I mean it's, it's great in theory but I'd, I, I think a lot of uh, people don't agree to start work with just 10% and sometimes they say, well, I need the money to buy supplies or w- whatever. So you have to be careful with that because sometimes they're, you know, you, what we, we've found is you find people are taking the money for your job and covering off their uh, previous job. And then they're going to – so then it turns into yeah. a spiral. So you just have to be careful with that. Whatever, you know, look at what you're comfortable with. Make sure you get it in writing and make sure you check to make sure that they actually are qualified and certified with the College of Trades. I think that's ultimately key. But also get it in writing and check references. Ask for references and go and see their work. Because then you can actually find out if the person is actually satisfied with the work that was done. And not just maybe with their cousin that they gave you the phone number for. You know, it's it's interesting, this whole issue of references, because it's an issue in other things, too, whether you're trying to hire somebody as an employee or, or to do a job. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you know, I know that uh, I've had work done to our home, and we were very happy. And happy to let other prospective clients, you know, come over and have a look at it. But uh, I guess that's that's a good indication as well. Yeah, we also felt, feel like you did your homework. You actually took the time and looked into who you were hiring to, to, to do the task and to do the job you're, that you, were, you wanted done, right? Exactly. So a lot of people I find that they're either lazy or they just don't want to do the homework and just be willing to take the cheapest bidder that comes on the pipe. And if someone has taken um, your money to cover another job and has gotten themselves in that cycle, there could be more underlying issues that needs to be looked at within that for that company. Yeah, it's, it's, and it, but it, there's also the question of references because, for instance, you know, in – other parts of the work world, sometimes, even if you uh, let somebody go that doesn't do good work, part of the settlement is that you're going to give them a reference. And you could be sued if you give somebody a bad reference. Does that exist in the trades as well? Uh, I don't – it's nothing that I've ever heard that there is that kind of uh, – you know, you could be sued for giving a bad reference. I think that the key thing is, A, get the reference, but also you want to see the work. And if you go and see the work – and it's not up to par with what you're looking for, you kind of get that indication. If it's electrical or something, how do you see the work? I mean, if it's, if it's inside, you know, if, how do you see it? What, you turn on the lights, and if they turn on, everything's good? Well, if, if you, not always the case. They may, always, they may turn on, but there may be some underlying well, issues. Well, exactly. That's panel. what I'm saying. How would I know? I think within the trades, word of mouth goes a long way. And mm-hmm. I know it's, it, it's, 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 
it's a short resolve, but word of mouth and your reputation in the trade goes a long way. And how many references do you think somebody needs? I would say a minimum three. Yeah. Right? It's as similar to what you would do if you were hiring an, an employee. You usually get about three references from, from them. Um, You'd so be surprised about how many people get zero references. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope yeah. in the, in, in, you know, when you're getting some work done in your home, you're looking for three references. And, and we, we're, we're focusing on home, but we're also let's – not, let's not forget that also you know, your auto service mechanic is also a compulsory trade, and you should be looking to make sure that that individual doing work on your vehicle that you're putting yourself in and your family in every day is actually being – the work is being done by a certified trade. So it's not just your home. Uh, that we want to just make sure that people are checking those things as well. I'm wondering how many people actually stop at when they, let's say, for instance, I'm not picking anybody, let's say go to Canadian Tire and yeah. decide that they're going to you know, uh, get their brakes done. Has anybody ever asked um, which mechanic or which technician will be working on my brakes and can I see his credentials and could I check him on the public registry? Even the average garage. I find that nobody really thinks that. You, you walk up to a, a shop, you're assuming because they have this, this business and this shop that's there. It's true. I've got to tell you, you know, I sort of often pick them by the location. <laughs> and we, I've found the strangest things in some of the funniest locations. So I, I'm suggest to anybody. Even a nice location even, is what you're saying. Even the wonderful dealerships, honestly. So I suggest to anybody, if you're getting work done on your car, especially if you're getting brakes done, then you should, you should inquire about the technician that's working on that car. If you are in, um, uh, uh, your car got in an accident and, you know, you are getting work done on that car and it's even substantial work from, you know, having a you know, T-bone or something like that. Find out who's the technician that's working on your car. Don't assume because you brought the car to the shop that it's being fixed by someone that is, that is certified or, or even competent. Mm-hmm. You need to find out the name, double check, punch in a public registry, go on our website, take a look at it, and then you can make a decision from there. So how many, when, when you're having a lot of work done, whether it's on your house or, or your car, uh, you know, usually it's a few people working on it. So how do you know how much is from the student and how much is from the teacher? Well, that's why knowledge is power. Um, the way how the legislation is written, if you, have, if you are a registered apprentice, because then you, you, ultimately, you ultimately have a sponsor, so you'll be, your work will be overlooked by a journey person. So if you're a registered apprentice, then you're allowed to do whatever work that journey person could do because we know that that journey person has actually provided you with a registered training agreement that will allow you to do the work that he does. He's going to be supervising you. Um, there are certain things within the trades that are exemptions that anybody can do, definitely. And that's where a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of education could let you know, okay, I know that you know, when I take my car in for an oil change, the guy doesn't need to have a license to do that. But, you know, my car got meet in an accident or I'm taken in for brakes and I'm getting structural work done um, to my car. Then that individual needs to have a certificate qualification or be a registered apprentice. Okay. That is all the time we have for today. So many thanks to Hartley Ellis and Tyler Charlebois from the Ontario College of Trades. Thank you for that very useful information. And uh, we'll see you in about a month's time. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.